Welcome to episode four of Cimmerillion Simplified. Um, and this is going to be over chapter three, which is of the coming of the elves and the captivity of Melkor. So spoiler right there in the title. So during this time, Melkor pretty much has free reign over Middle-earth. And he's creating all kinds of evil stuff and lots of demons that they call them demons in the book, are coming to him that are kind of as corrupted as he is. Uh, Most of these are Balrogs. So the one Balrog that kind of screwed over the Fellowship and kills Gandalf, Melkor has armies of those in these days. So the Balrog that they run into in Fellowship of the Ring is just like one leftover that was hiding deep in the earth that was uncovered from way back in the days of Melkor when there were entire armies of them. So, things were way cooler back in the old olden times <laughs> with ar- entire armies of, like, I think the elves were way stronger, so the el- armies of elves in that time, you'll see later, were a- are actually fighting armies of Balrogs because that's how strong they were. Whereas in the events during Lord of the Rings, the elves' power has already waned quite a bit. Um, and that, and they're starting to pass over into the undying lands because this just isn't their world anymore. So the only two Valar that really come very often into Middle-earth during this time when Melkor kind of rules everything are Yavanna, because she goes around to a bunch of the plants and puts a spell on them to kind of put them to sleep for them to wake up later when it's safe. So she's just trying to kind of trying to protect as many things as she can can and orame who is the hunter who rides around on his horse and runs around and hunts and kills milkor's beasts and kind of drives milkor back into his fortress of atumno every now and then and then milkor also had a, a giant stronghold constructed in the northwest that was kind of supposed to be like a like an outpost that would help in case the Valar ever decided to attack from Amon, there would be this forward post called Angband um, over in the west. And that fortress was uh, watched over by Melkor's lieutenant, a little guy by the name of Sauron. So yeah, at this point, Sauron is as crazy as he seems in Lord of the Rings, as crazy, strong, and powerful. Sauron was never more than Melkor's little... Uh, lapdog. So that should give you kind of a sense of scale of how strong Melkor really was, that Sauron was just kind of like one of his captains. So Melkor has pretty much had free reign over Middle-earth for a long time. And finally, Yavanna comes before the the council of the Valar and is like, okay, when are we going to do something? Because we don't know when the elves are going to come, but we know it's going to be soon. So, I mean, are we just going to sit here and let Melkor be the Lord of the Elves whenever they come about, because none of us are around. And then, of course, Tolkis the fighter is like, no! No, we're not! Are we gonna... He's <laughs> Tolkis gets all mad because he's like, are we gonna let one Einar defy the rest of us? Is that how weak we are? No. No. And then Mandos, who... Mandos is super cool, because in the council, he never says anything unless he's, like, bidden to, or if something's really important. And then he'll just say, like, one thing, and then he'll be silent for the rest of the council. And it's always something really cryptic. So, 
Mendo says, Alright, the elves are coming soon. And it's foretold that they are going to come in the darkness of Middle-earth. And that, he says, great light is for their waning. So basically, the elves' power starts to wane as soon as the world is lit by a great light. And by this time, the lanterns are gone. You know, they were tipped over by Melkor. So the world is in darkness. And all that there are are stars. And the stars are all really faint. Varda, the queen of light and the stars and the queen of the Valar, uh, hears Mandos's proclamation that the elves will come during the time of the dark and is like, she's like, well, I'm going to set out some signs for the elves that, uh, I don't know, kind of a symbol of hope, I guess. I'm not sure what she really intended. She's going to put out some signs for the elves and also a kind of a warning or a challenge to Melkor. And so she takes the vats, the vat of silver dew from Telperion, the silver tree in Amon, and she takes those and uses them to create bright stars and constellations and like signs and uh portents and things like that up in the sky with her with her stars and uh of these she made these seven bright stars in the north that were like a warning to Melkor basically that were called the sickle so at this point and then it's said that the elves awoke at the exact moment that Varda placed all these stars in the sky, and the first things they saw were these beautiful stars and constellations that she had placed there that were newborn, and of course they love Varda forever, and they have like a million different names for her, like the Kindler, and uh, they think she's just the greatest because they awoke and her creations were the first things that, that they saw. And at this point, the elves suddenly wake up and are come into being, and they are born by this lake and even though the land has been broken and changed and things since since they were born it said that they they were born like in the northeast of middle earth somewhere so they see the stars and they're amazed and they call themselves the quendi which uh signifies that they uh speak with voices because they because they make a language uh, and their names for themselves mean that they are they speak because they're the only creatures that they met that uh, spoke or sang and one day when Orome is riding around on his horse his horse rears up and Orome stops and he hears singing and speaking um, and see so he's the first of the Valar to discover uh, the elves although actually Melkor had already discovered them but he's he's the uh, the first of the Valar too and uh, when Orome finds them he he's so excited and of course and he uh, talks to the elves and he learns their language and he names the elves the Eldar in their own language, which means children of the stars. But uh, they that name only ends up applying later to the elves that follow him to Amon because some of the elves go to live in the Undying Lands right off the bat and those are the ones that continue to call themselves the Eldar. Um, and the rest kind of have names for themselves as they go, which I will uh, tell you. However, not all the elves were excited to see Orome because when he Melkor had already kind of been tampering with the elves, um, and he'd sent like spirits to like spy on the elves and to attack them and scare them and things. So group little groups of elves would sometimes just disappear when they if they strayed too far, and 
they would say the elves would say that the hunter had caught them. And so the elves had this some of the elves had this fear of Arome, which is probably Melkor's intention that he was trying to make sure that the elves would be afraid of the Valar and Orome, especially if he ever came, because he hated Orome. Because Orome was constantly riding out and scaring him back to his fortress. And so when Orome shows up, some of the elves just disappear or run away and are gone forever. Of those elves that disappeared and were abducted or attacked when they strayed too far, or those that fled when Orome appeared, it talks about how Melkor imprisoned them basically and tortured them and enslaved them and corrupted them and that is how the race of orcs came to be um, and it talks about how that is pretty much the absolute most foul thing that Melkor ever did was that he took the elves one of God's own creations basically and twisted it into this awful awful race that I mean even the orcs hate Melkor they hate him and are afraid of him uh, but they're forced to serve him. And so that's pretty much the most disgusting and awful thing that, that Melkor did, even compared to everything else that he does over the course of the book. And this is where things get cool, because Orome discovers the elves, he hangs out with them a while, learns their language, and then he runs back to, to Amon to tell, to tell the Valar that he found the elves, that they're awake. So he tells them, and they're like, well, what do we do? And Arome immediately just rides back and goes to hang out with the elves some more because he's so excited. So they kind of have a council. The remaining Valar have a council. And Manwe thinks long and hard about what they should do. And they decide, well, we're going to have to finally put an end to Melkor's dominion. And Tolkis is happy. He's ready to fight and do some wrestling. And <laughs> Aule is all bummed out because he's like, oh man, this is going to break the earth even more than it's already broken, and I worked so hard on it. And uh, it talks about how... So they, they go to war. They go to straight-up open war against Melkor. And it talks about how Melkor never forgets that this war was waged for the sake of the elves, and that just makes him hate the elves even more. Even though they didn't actually participate in the fight, he knows that the Valar are doing this for the elves' sake. And while this giant war of the gods is happening in the north between all the Valar and Melkor, the elves, they don't really see anything. They just see huge flashes of light from the north and the earth beneath them is like shaking and like heaving and groaning. And so they just know that whatever's going on up there, it is the shit. And they are terrified. <laughs> and so during this time, Middle-earth and Amon, the... Uh, the continent that the Valar dwell on uh, are separated even further apart from each other by like a big sea. Um, and up in the north, they're still kind of close together. There's this place called the Helcarax. I'm probably not even pronouncing that right, but that's how it looks like it's spelled, um, where they kind of draw close together. But for the most part, they're separated by a big sea. So the land has changed again uh, greatly. And the Valar find a tomb, no, Melkor's, Melkor's fortress, and Melkor just hides deep in the deepest pit of it. But Tolkis, they like rip off the roof of a tomb, no, and they break the gates of a tomb, no. And Tolkis, I have to read this line because it's amazing. Tolkis stood forth as the champion of the Valar and wrestled him and cast him upon his face. <laughs> so he just wrestles Melkor and throws him onto his face, and they 
wrap him up in this chain that Alay had made specifically for wrapping Melkor, called, and the chain has a name, of course, called Angainor. Angainor, maybe. And so they wrap up Melkor, and they lead him away and take him straight to God Jail. And the world had peace for a long age, it says. But there were tons of caves and stuff in the fortress that so there were lots of things that Melkor had been working on and lots of his allies that the Valar didn't find, including Sauron. So Melkor was brought to the halls of Mandos, from which none can escape, and he was thrown in there in his chains, and he sued for pardon but was denied, and he was set to stay in there with a sentence of three ages long which I don't know how long an age is, but it's got to be like a thousand years or something, like a millennia. And then after that time, he was allowed to plead for pardon again. So then the Valar move on to their next problem, and they're trying to decide, they want to protect the the elves the best way they know how. Uh, so they debate on whether to let the elves roam free or whether to bring them over to the Undying Lands and let them live there with the Valar. And Ulmo just wants to let them roam free but a bunch of them were afraid that the elves like like an over like overprotective parents they're afraid to let the elves go out and just hang around and explore and discover things for themselves and they want to come over and protect them and some of them just wanted to be friends with the elves some of them just wanted more people to be around they were just lonely and wanted people to talk to and hang out with and that's why they wanted the elves brought over there and uh, it says, Mandos broke his silence, saying, So it is doomed. Um, from this summons came many woes that afterwards befell. So I talked earlier about how any time the Valar tried to compel the elves to do something, even if it was in their best interest or whatever, that no good ever came of it. And of course, this is one of those examples where the Valar decide, Oh, well, it's going to be best for the elves if they come over and live with us instead of roaming free because it's just too dangerous out there. And Mandos immediately, even though he's normally silent, speaks up and says, all right, so it's decided. But he, he doesn't cast judgment because he knows that it's for the best interest of the elves, but it's it's very foreboding the way he says it. At least that's the way I imagine it. And so Orome goes to the elves and tries to convince them to come over to the Undying Lands, telling them how cool it is, how they have some cool light trees, uh, there's a big mountain there. He's really just trying to sell them on this cool place that they made. But a lot of the elves are still pretty scared, because, I mean, the at this point, all they've seen of the Valar are the Valar riding off to make war and lots of destruction and the land thrown around. So they're kind of wary of these gods who just come to them like, oh, come live with us. Everything's going to be fine. So Orome selects from three of them ambassadors. Uh, basically, he picks like the bravest ones who are also leaders within the elves. And that's Ingwe, Finwe, and Elwe. And those are afterwards are like the three high kings of the elves. Um, and he selects those three to come over to Valinor see how cool it is for themselves, and then to come back and try to convince all the rest of the elves how cool it is. And so they came over, and they just think, of course, the three, these three kings of the elves see how amazing Valinor is, because it is really amazing. 
and they're just filled with awe and they think the trees are cool they're so like amazing and beautiful and glorious and so they come back and they speak to the elves and they convince them how amazing it is so they when they come back and try to convince the elves this is when the elves first break apart it's called the first sundering of the elves the kin of ingwe and most of the people under finway and elway were like okay let's go and they're called the eldar because they decided to go over to the undying lands but a bunch of them refused they liked the place they lived they liked just hanging out in the starlight they like all the open spaces and they like to roam around um and those are called the avari the unwilling and so they're separated from the eldar the avari and the eldar because uh, the avari decided to live in middle earth and the eldar decided to go chill in undying lands where their power never wanes basically so the eldar start marching because they're like in the northeast of middle earth and uh the Amon is across the sea over on the west side of middle earth so they do this big march and it it, it kind of separates not tribes but like there's like different peoples within the uh the elves they're kind of they kind of separated themselves into factions almost there's ingwe is one of the high kings and his people are called the vanyar his people just went straight to amon straight to valinor and they just hung out with the Valar forever. And they're probably still there. He never came back to Middle-earth. He just he went over there and just lived there forever. And then Finway, his people were called the Noldor. Um, and they are they learn the most from Aule. They So the Noldor are very skilled in crafting things. And then the, the, the biggest group are, call, are called the Teleri. And they were... St- not fully convinced about Valinor. Like, they came along on the trip, but they were still like, ah, we don't know. They have mixed feelings about leaving Middle-earth and going to Valinor. And they really liked the water. And they had two lords, because they were the biggest group, and that was Elway and Olway. And those are the three kindreds. The the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri. Um, so the, the Vanyar went straight to Amon, lived there. The, the Noldor... All three of these groups did come to Amon, but the Teleri stayed by the sea. They were kind of on the edges, and they, because they liked the the ocean, and they weren't really convinced that they wanted to leave Middle Earth in the first place. And then, in addition to those three groups, there were also groups who, during the trip to Amon, just kind of broke off and decided to live in Middle Earth instead. And most of the elves that broke off during the the march over to Amon were of the Teleri, since not all of them were convinced. And it talks about how long the trip over to Amon took, because it's a, a huge distance. And the elves were really in no hurry, because they kept seeing things that they'd never seen before, and they'd want to stop and hang out with that. And then some of them would sometimes desire, just decide to live there. Like, they'd find a cool river, or a cool mountain, or a cool forest, and they'd just be like, oh no, actually, forget Amon, we're going to live here now. So then they reached a river, which would later become the Anduin River, which is uh, kind of a major river in Lord of the Rings. And Orme convinces the Vanyar and the Noldor to pass over it and leads them away. But the Teleriar, they just really liked the river, maybe. Or maybe they were scared. And they just lingered by the river. So Orome left them behind to lead the Noldor and Vanyar forward. And then this guy named Lenway 
just decided to forget forget the march west. This is stupid. And he took some people and went down to the south, and those are the Nandor. But then later, Denethor, son of Lenwe, whom Denethor in Lord of the Rings is named after, I assume, uh, turned west and led the rest of his people further west to continue the march. And finally, the Noldor and the Vanyar reach this area, this westernmost area of Middle-earth called Beleriand, which is going to be a major uh, place where most things happen in, in the Cimmerillion. And then finally, the Vanyar and Noldor, they reach the, the shores of the sea. And immediately a bunch of them are like, oh, I'm not doing that, and immediately turn away from the march. So the, every time they come across any kind of obstacle, there are some elves that break away and decide they're not, they don't want any part of that. And so Arome leaves him and goes to seek the Council of Manwe about what he should do. And the Teleri finally pass over some mountains. They're way behind. And they're being urged on by Elway, because Elway is one of the three kings who went over to Valinor, and he... He wants to get back there, man. He So he's like urging his people because he thinks he really wants to get back to Valinor because he thinks it was amazing. Plus, he's really good friends with Finway of the Noldor. Um, so he's trying to catch up with him as well because cause he's close to him. And so that's pretty much the end of this chapter. Um, chapter 4 is called Of Thingol and Melian, which is pretty interesting. They're two major players. They're going to be two major characters in a bunch of the events to come, including Baron and Luthien, which is a really cool story. So yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how I ended up with four podcast episodes when I just finished Chapter 3. So that's kind of confusing. Uh, But that's a mystery for another day. And I know that was a little bit dry. That chapter was drier than I had anticipated. I forgot how much it describes all the different sundering of the elves in detail and the names and the chiefs. And there's a lot of detail I just skipped right over that's about the locations of different rivers and mountains and forests and in relation to each other and all kinds of stuff. But definitely... I just want to let you know, in case you're like, oh, this is getting super boring. Um, there are some later stories within the Cimmerillion, and I'm, I promise we're going to get to them soon, that are more like short stories within uh, this book. And those are super interesting and cool. And there will be a little less dry once we get past all of the here's all the different types of elves that there were, and here's all the different landscapes. So just stick it out, and I'll stick it out, and we'll stick it out together. Bye.